Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. I hope you give them a call. Visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show on this Labor Day. Mark Schulman is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, and we'll be talking about current world events. Lots going on. We'll also visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. He raises the question, how come we don't have a happy capital day as opposed to just Labor Day? The two, of course, the uh, factors of production work together in order to produce uh, great results. We also visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of books. Uh, the first is The Follow the Leader, and the second, its sequel, Murder Mystery, is Shake the Money Tree. Again, it's Labor Day. It's September the 7th, and on this day in 1813, the United States got its nickname, Uncle Sam. Now, how did that happen? Well, the name is linked to Samuel Wilson, a meatpacker from Troy, New York, who supplied barrels of beef to the United States Army during World War, or the War of 1812. Wilson uh, stamped the barrels with U.S. for United States, but soldiers began referring to it grub as Uncle Sam's. The local newspaper picked up on the story, and Uncle Sam eventually gained widespread acceptance as the nickname for the personification of the United States federal government. In the late 1860s and 70s, political cartoonist Thomas Nast began popularizing the image of Uncle Sam. He continued to evolve the image, eventually giving Uncle Sam the white beard and stars and stripes suit that are associated with the character today. The German-born Nast was also credited with creating the modern-day image of Santa Claus, as well as coming up with a donkey as a symbol for the Democrat Party and the elephant as a symbol for the Republicans. He's famously lampooned the corruption of New York City's Tammany Hall and Boss Tweed in his editorial cartoons and was in part responsible for the downfall of the uh, of Boss Tweed. Uh, there's other, the famous image of uh, Uncle Sam was created by artist James Montgomery, who gave him the top hat during World War I. In S September 1961, the U.S. Congress recognized Samuel Wilson as the progenitor of America's national symbol of Uncle Sam. Wilson died at age 88 in 1854 and was buried next to his wife, Betsy Mann, in Oakwood Cemetery in Troy, New York. The town itself is called the home of Uncle Sam. What a great story, huh? Also on this Labor Day. The first Monday in uh, September is the creation of the labor movement and its dedication to the social and economic achievements of American workers. It constitutes a yearly national tribute to the contributions workers have made to our strength, prosperity, and well-being of our country. Beginning in the late 19th century, as the trade union and labor movement grew, trade unionists proposed that a day be set aside to celebrate labor. The uh, Labor Day was promoted by the Central Labor Union and the Knights of Labor, which organized the first parade in New York City. In 1887, Oregon was the first state of the United States to make it an official holiday. In 1894, 30 states of the United States officially celebrated a Labor Day. Labor is one of the factors of production, and we'll visit with Larry Ray later about the Capital Day, his proposal for Capital Day. Not to eliminate Labor Day, they're both critical to great results, as we'll discover. Well, the Department of Health reported 40 new cases of COVID-19 on Friday. There are 58 new cases on Saturday, and on Sunday, 43 new cases of COVID-19, and two additional deaths in Collier County. The seven-day average of uh, uh, as of September the third. Now that's seven-day average of new cases is 54, and over these three days, it's 47 for the last three days. So, as you can see, there's a trend downward. As of Friday, there were 42 patients in the hospital with COVID-19. Again, healthcare not being overwhelmed by the disease. So, it raises the question: Are you confident about the information that COVID-19 you receive from the media and CDC? While American voters trust in the national media and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention to provide accurate information about the COVID uh, pandemic has plummeted since March. According to CBS poll published Sunday, 
Roughly 54% of voters trust the CDC for reliable information about the virus, a 30 percentage point drop from March. Now, why is that? Well, I think it has a lot to do with uh, questions about how many people really died of COVID-19 as opposed to with. And it, of course, so we've heard about these false positives, too. So confidence in information is going down, which doesn't, uh, which kind of exacerbates distrust and uh, dis- dissatisfaction with what's going on with shutdowns. More young people live at home now than during the Great Depression, according to a Pew Research poll, as 52% report living with one or both of their parents in July. 52%. The number of young adults aged 18 to 29 living at home is now 26.6 million, which is up 2.6 million, or about 10%, since the coronavirus pandemic swept the globe in February, with just 47% living with their parents Uh, Back in uh, February, the pandemic hit youngest adults particularly hard as they've had to relocate during the shutdown off of college campuses and job losses. The lack of job prospects has also taken a toll on the mental health of young people. Get this, a fourth of those between the age of 18 and 24 have considered suicide this year due to the pandemic, according to the uh, Center for Disease Control. Anxiety and depression have also skyrocketed recently. The CDC found that the prevalence of anxiety disorders was three times higher for young Americans than in the second quarter of 2019. The prevalence of uh, depression was roughly four times higher, if you can believe that. So, again, unintended consequences of shutdown and what's happening with the economy uh, just more indications that we need to get back to work. And, of course, we're doing a good job of that, I think. So, uh, But a lot of evidence is suggesting this pandemic is winding down. Maybe not in other parts of the world. We'll be discussing that later with uh, Mark Schulman. Last week, we discussed critical race theory, and it's used by the federal government in our interview with Professor Andrew Joppa. Well, thanks to the divisive and Obama regime, Federal employees are forced to attend critical race theory sessions and workshops to focus on white privilege and microaggressions. The discipline is pure Marxism and hate being pushed on U.S. government employees. Several U.S. corporations are also pushing this on their employees in workshops and seminars. It's a lucrative business for the far left based on pseudoscience, hate, and victimhood. As a reminder of our interview with Andrew, the National Museum of African American History and culture in Washington, D.C. found itself a small scandal last month after visitors to the website discovered an infographic that listed hard work, rational thought, as traits of white culture, the crude stereotypes which drew uh, well-deserved derision. It's not just the museum. Last year's uh, Sandian National Laboratories, a federal contractor responsible for building the U.S. nuclear weapons, sent its executives to mandatory diversity training with the White Men's Caucus of Eliminating Racism, Sexism, Homophobia in Organization. The group's educational materials, which were obtained by Christopher Rufo of the Heritage Foundation, include many of the same racial stereotypes. As Rufo writes, participants were told that the roots of white male culture consist of rugged individualism, a can-do attitude, hard work, and striving toward success, which sound good, but are in fact devastating to women and people of color. Can you believe that? Let me repeat that. Rugged individual, can-do attitude, hard work, striving for success, that all sounds good, but there's devastating to women and people of color. I don't think so. And in fact, the trainers claim that white male culture leans toward lower quality of life and work at home, reduced life expectancy, unproductive relationships, and high stress, and also forces this white male standard on women and minorities. That's what they've been teaching to federal employees. The seminar also asked white males to recite a series of white privilege statements and male privilege statements. It concluded with the white male participants writing letters of apology to marginalized people whom they have harmed. That's, I'm not making this up. This is what was going on. On Friday night, President Trump announced he was eliminating the use of critical race theory in the federal government. 
Rosvat, the director of office management and budget, wrote a memo informing agencies of Trump's instruction to stop all controversial forms of training on critical race theory, white privilege, or any other training or propaganda effort that teaches or suggests either that the United States is inherently racist or an evil country or that any race or ethnicity is inherently race, racist or evil. So uh, he's putting an end to it. But I just can't believe this stuff has been going on. Now, in addition to that, President Trump said Sunday that the Department of Education is examining the use of New York Times Magazine's 1619 project in schools and warned that institutions that teach this alternative narrative of American history could lose federal funding. The project, created by Nicole Hannah-Jones, was awarded the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for commentary. However, multiple historians have criticized the series of articles for multiple inaccuracies, including the argument that American Revolution was fought not to achieve independence from Britain, but to preserve the institution of slavery. So in a statement Cotton called the project a racially divisive revisionist account of history and that denies the noble principles of freedom equality on which the nation was founded. So no more 1619 Project in schools if you want federal funding. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with author uh, and founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That's Mark Schulman. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. 
Uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have, as we mentioned before the break, Mark Schulman. He's the author of several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Great for kids of all ages, including you and I. I hope you check it out, HistoryCentral.com. Mark Schulman again. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Well, for these many years, well over a decade, we've been talking about current world events. And uh, there's a lot going on, a lot of protests, a lot of anger, a lot of upset, uh, all exacerbated, I think, a little bit by COVID-19. But I want to start off just because I want to get some uh, perspective on the Serbia-Kosovo normalization of economic relations. Any thoughts? Okay, it's a, it's a small agreement between the two. I mean, don't forget the basically war once upon a time. Yeah, it's called economic normalization, um, but what it does is uh, it's, it it allows the two of them to work together in terms of import export rank. They both agreeing to to join the mini Schengen zone, which is a sort of subset of the European Union. Um, it does those sort of things. It doesn't solve any of the major issues between between them at this point. Uh-huh. But basically, uh, Kosovo will stop requesting to be part of additional uh, international organizations, and Serbia will stop trying to block it from being recognized by by various countries. So it's a small step in a in a, in a long process. Um, you know, the Balkans was the big surprise. We thought that Europe was at peace, and then the Balkans developed, and we saw what ethnic tensions uh, can do, and yeah, speaking, happened, speaking you know, of the yeah, speaking of the uh, the ethnic tensions, I mean, part of this is that uh, the the uh, tension between the Muslims and Christians, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, it, it, no, absolutely. I mean, some of the the whole issue in the Balkans was the Balkans there has been a mix um, between uh, Christians and Muslims, and then you had even within Christianity, you had both Eastern European, East, Eastern. Uh, Russian Orthodox and stand Catholics, so you have all of those things, and they turned into a you know between religion and, nation- and nationalism. You know, don't forget World War One began amongst the same set of messes. Yeah. Uh, in in Serbia, so it's always been a hot spot, um, and anything that you know makes it a little less hot is is clearly good. To, yeah. You know, again, it's a it, it's a very minor deal, one that we never ever in almost no circumstances have taken place in the White House, let's put it that way. Gotcha, okay. So uh, just in perspective, then, it's a step forward in the right direction, but in terms of the uh, overall scheme of things in the globe, it's a minor, it's a minor occurrence. Right, absolutely. Uh, okay, so let's, let's move now to Hong Kong, because protests are now heating up again, arrest of a 12-year-old person in Hong Kong. What are your thoughts? Well, look, things have gotten, you know, on one hand, the protests are starting up again. On the other hand, the government has this powerful tool, which is this new laws that basically makes any opposition to Hong Kong as part of uh, China illegal, and any criticism of China illegal. And so the protesters are very concerned on one hand, because, uh, you know, Hong Kong has that independence. It looks like it's mostly gone at this point, and yet they're not quite willing to surrender yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's going to be really tough for them to stand up to Chinese oppression. Uh, there's no other way of determining calling it, but but oppression by the Chinese government, yeah, because they want Hong Kong to be, you know, people should think the same way that people in China think. Yeah, they can do whatever they want in terms of business, but in terms of politics, that's the whole other story. Well, and of course, it, it depends on how the world reaction. If they if it just uh, if the world sloughs this off, I guess it, the, the the game it's game over, really. So, how about how about the threat to Taiwan? I mean, that's the big question. I mean, there is a real threat there. The Taiwanese are on a shopping spree to buy additional military hardware, uh, and, but it's going to be very tough for a small country to, to take on China. Will they defend themselves? I think they will. Will they be successful? Not unless the United States comes to their aid. Yeah. Uh, will the United States come to their aid? I mean, I would think that, generally speaking, we've made it very clear that we believe that, China, that Taiwan should maintain its independence. Will we be willing to go to war with China over that? Um, that's a big question. And, of course, as always in these cases, this is always where it gets very difficult. If the Chinese believe that we will be willing to go to war over it, then we probably won't have to worry about going to war over it. Right. You know, going back to Korea, the Korean War, a little lesson in history here, began 
because, to some extent, because Dean Acheson, who was the Secretary of State back then, gave a speech and defined America's security interests that included the Philippines, that included Vietnam at the time, but did not include Korea. And so the Chinese and the North Koreans concluded that if they were to attack South Korea, the United States wouldn't intervene. Hmm, that is so, so interesting. Well, so, yeah, so we but, need to remember that. In other words, you know, the um, you need sometimes to be be seen as carrying that big stick. Um, even if you have to speak softly, it has to be clear that you're willing to use your stick. Right. And to paraphrase Theodore Roosevelt, and if you if people think you're willing to use the stick less likely to get into trouble because people will be afraid to start up. But if people think you're not willing to use it, then yeah. anything can happen. Well, you know, in a, another step in this chess game, of course, is, did I read that the, there's been an offer from one of the uh, countries near the Philippines to open a military base for the United States uh, as it would be another bastion of uh, strength there during in the, in the Far East? Not sure. I didn't, did not hear that. But the, the United States has good relations with the Vietnamese, with the Philippines, not sure where else we need a military base. We, yeah. have, we have one in Thailand. Uh, we don't want one in Taiwan because of the implications. And, we, of course, we have troops in South Korea. Um, so, uh, and in Japan, of course, we have troops. I couldn't find the story. It was kind of interesting. I, I looked at a site that showed all the military bases we have around the world. We have plenty. <laughs> it's really pretty amazing, uh, the show of strength that we have around the world. I, I just raised the question, do we need them all? Are they just because of the inertia of having them? I'm not sure. Well, listen, you know, the whole issue in the military always is, do we need it all? And if someone's to do a zero-based accounting, yeah. both in terms of you know military projects and in terms of military bases, I'm sure we need less of them, and we actually have closed thousands, I don't know, hundreds of bases yeah. over the last uh, 30 years. Um, on the other hand, again, you know, each base is a little flag that says, don't tread on me, don't start up here, because the American forces are, are nearby. Yeah. And so we always have to be very careful. That it's, a, it's a careful trade-off. Yeah, I, I understand. Um, by the way, keep in mind the fact that it doesn't really cost us any additional money to uh, have pe- have troops abroad generally costs us less because often the host nation pays for part of it. If they weren't overseas, they'd be in American bases in the United States, and we have to pay them just the same. Well, that's so true, but they, 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 that it's a, it's a stimulant to those uh, foreign economies, uh, and it would be a stimulant, quite frankly, to our economy if they were here. So I think there is that. Yeah, but it's minor. But you're talking about the amount of money that the soldiers are spending. I mean, that's not really that significant altogether. Yeah. So, uh, uh, in this segment, though, I do want to cover uh, one other thing, and that would be the dust-up between India and China. Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, look, India and China, um, this goes all the way back to the 60s, the question of the border and, and, and Tibet. Uh, again, the Chinese, as they're trying to push and expand a little bit, they're pushing back in terms of that, that issue. The Indians are not willing to give it all. And um, I don't think it'll come to a shooting war for real, although, you know, it has in the past. Mm-hmm. Right now, they've, uh, they agreed to fight without arms, which was an interesting thing. There was a clash a couple of weeks ago, and they basically beat each other up without using any guns. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> Sounds like the streets of Portland, except they're using yeah, guns. Well. <laughs> But, but another time. So, uh, Mark, I would like to uh, visit with you uh, uh, about other things going on in the world. Can you can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere 
includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I proudly serve on the board. I hope you'll check it out, thefga.org, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Uh, right now, we have we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Mark, I, I failed to point out to our listeners that you're in Tel Aviv and have been for the last couple of months for sure. How's everything going there? Um. So, so, the corona has gotten even worse here. We now have the worst rate of anywhere in the world, and the government hasn't had the political uh, will in order to do anything. It gets complicated to local politics. But we have almost no restrictions at this point, although they're talking about putting in a curfew in some cities, but we now have the highest rate per per thousand in, in the, in the, per million, excuse me, in the world, and uh, hospitalization is now starting to move up towards the critical numbers. So, hmm. that's so good. Yeah, and I understand that you've got some heat there, too. Right. We've heat is coming at the same time. Uh, the last two days have recorded the hottest days in history in a couple of places in, in the country. In a place called Eilat, which is in the southern tip of Israel, temperatures reached, I believe, 127 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the hottest it's ever been recorded wow. in this country. Uh, it's interesting. It's happening at the same time it's been happening in Los Angeles and Los Angeles area which have also been recording the hottest they've ever recorded in history. So, you know, whatever we want to argue about the causes of global warming or what's going on, things seem to be getting hot, let's put it that way, and we need to pay attention uh, to this issue well, because... It's definitely point, like, it's a heat visible. It's a heat wave for sure, and uh, I do recall being in Washington, D.C., uh, during uh, the July 4th weekend several years ago. It was 115 degrees there, too. So heat waves do come and go. Don't know that it says a lot about global warming. But you did bring up one fact uh, in another conversation, which was alarming, and that is in uh, the uh, well in northern Russia, up near the Northern Arctic. Russia, the, the permafrost has been melting, which is something that's also very concerning. The permafrost is this permanent layer of ice that covers the ground that never that never uh, thaws because it's so cold and it remains cool during the during the summer. And this year it's been so hot that the permafrost has uh, has melted yeah. or is beginning to melt. Uh, same thing in Greenland, where a lot of the um, a lot of the glaciers have, have melted. So it's been a very hot summer in in the far north, more more so than ever in history. They've had the hottest hottest days. They've had temperatures that have been close to a hundred. Uh, along the Arctic Circle, which is hard to hard to believe, quite honestly, it really is. So that that is so. You know, again, I, once again, one can argue. We could say whether is this and that, but we need to be very careful and pay a lot of attention because sometimes things have this uh, this habit suddenly spinning out of control. The same way COVID nineteen spun out of control. We need we need to be. Not that we can do so much about it, but we need to be wary about that. 
nature being stronger than humanity. Sometimes. Well, so let's uh, let's go to COVID nineteen around the world and in India. I read where well, they have something like ninety thousand cases in a day. Uh, right, they're they're testing a million they're testing a million people a day at the moment in India, and they're coming up with ninety thousand cases. And of course, they don't have the hospital system to deal with with those who get uh, seriously ill. Um, and on top of which, it's devastated their economy. So you have this combination of devastation to their economy, a lot of sick people, and also you're sort of, uh, it's supposedly, you know, it's even taken the point where uh, the balloon or the positive sense that India was finally moving places and taking control of its own fate has to some extent been been hurt badly by this situation because um, it's a problem that's too big for India. So let, let me ask you a pointy question, if I may. I mean, certainly with more tests, you're going to find more cases. Is this in any sense overwhelming the healthcare system? Do they have yes. hospitals? It yes. is? The healthcare system was never, you know, you know, great to begin with. It's totally overwhelmed the healthcare system. Yeah, okay. It's totally healthcare. You know, it's totally overwhelmed. Well, while most Western countries, anyone who's sick has been able to get, except in the very beginning in Italy, et cetera, to get care, in India that's just not the case. Hmm. Um, so... Well, how about yeah. the UK? The UK is apparently having another outbreak. Australia is having. So is France. And look, every place, the reality is that every place that locked down is, and is unlocked down has seen a, a jump. How big the jump is and how careful people are, you know, it varies from country to country. It varies in terms of, you know, people. Look, the crazy things people do, which people still do, is having these, you know, huge. Weddings and parties and all these other problems. We have young people. This is particularly, of course, from college towns in the United States. But we have young people who feel like, you know, I'm 18, I'm 19, I'm 20. Nothing will happen to me, even if I get it. It won't be too serious, which is the case 95 percent of the time. Of course, the problem is that not only young people live in these places. Yeah. So, so and not to mention the professors, teachers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's an interesting point because uh, uh, my my personal belief is that young people won't die as a real or you know on on balance they're going to be stay healthy maybe be asymptomatic maybe get the uh, sniffles a little bit of a fever whatever you know let's just keep them on the college campus and you know make sure that they're not spreading it around to their parents let's keep the school going as opposed to shut it down what are your thoughts there's a truth to that i mean listen one of the mistakes that have been made often was the fact that you have sick students and you send them home to their parents Right, and that's always uh, always can be a problem to say the least. Um, on the other hand, you know you still have people who have to take care of them in the colleges, right? And you still have support people and service people, and uh, not to mention their professors. So it's a college town; the other people live in town. So. You know, either way, it's it's a real challenge. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it sure is. Um, and one of the uh, one of the uh, unintended consequences: some of these kids are going home, being sent home because they didn't follow the rules, and having to pay their owing the tuition for the year like thirty six thousand dollars. So yeah, mean, that was absurd. Northeast University, you know, it's crazy. Look, uh, it was once said. It was said to me by a recently by a very smart kindergarten teacher who's been doing it for like 30 years when she heard what the rules are going to be in kindergarten she said whoever made these those rules doesn't understand kindergarten kids but whoever made the rules relating to college kids do you really expect 18 and 19 year olds who are away from home for the first time to be social to you know to observe social distancing no i mean we were 18 and 19 and maybe you and i were more responsible than others i don't know but still we know what it was like. Yeah. Unlikely. Yeah. And just to, to see a, uh, t- a kid in the second grade, for example, wearing a mask and goggles and that kind of thing, I just don't see that happening. Now, we've established here in this county there's going to be warnings, they, but they're going to go through the disciplinary process that might lead to them being expelled from school if they don't follow the rules. So this is getting very complicated. No, it's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. You know, until until we have the virus or a, cure, a, virus, a vaccine or a cure, uh, life is difficult. As I was explaining to somebody today, I said to them, who has like five kids or six kids, I said to her, listen, you got to look upon this year. 2020 is a lost year. There's no way around it. It's a lost year all over the globe. Yep. You know, some countries better or a little worse or whatever, but throughout the world, it's been a lost year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, economically, educationally, in almost every single sphere, it's been a lost year. The virus won this year for us. And um, we need 
you know, to understand that, accept that to some extent, and figure out what we're going to do once we get that vaccine and get get ourselves back on track. And when I say us, it's everywhere in the world. You know, it's not one place. It's no. the whole world. It's so, you know, I wouldn't want to be someone who's running an airline or any of those type of things to this day. You know, or, or or running, being an owner of commercial property <laughs> or rental properties. You know, commercial property, that's for a long term, is is never going to be the same. That's, that's right. That's and, 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 and rental properties, my goodness. I mean, the uh, we're giving amnesty and allowing. Now, they still owe the money, but they're not paying the rent. I, I just. Look, at the United States right now, and the situation is very similar here in Israel. Uh, the highest percentage of people between the ages of 18 and 30 are living with their parents. At right. this point, it's, it's over 50%, the first time since World War II. Yeah, I saw that. It's just unbelievable. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check out the website. Again, great for kids of all ages, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, always appreciate your so informed commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Have a great week. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and you can get tickets now. Very robust website. Visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books, Murder Mysteries. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. As I mentioned before the break, Larry is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. Your listeners can learn a lot more about us by visiting our website at fee.org. There they'll see uh, daily commentary that's posted and very timely in every case on today's issues as well as economic uh, and historical uh, principles. Uh, Our purpose is to educate and inspire young people in ideas of liberty free enterprise, private property, minimal government, and personal character. You know, I've been to one of the, several of the fee uh, uh, events, and it's so inspiring to see these young people celebrating freedom, celebrating uh, responsibility. Just if you have a young person in your life, I encourage you to visit the website and get that young person, ages between, you know, college and high school age, 
at least expose them to the idea of the ideas at uh, FEE.org, uh, Foundation for Economic Education. Great organization, Larry. Thank you. So uh, you wrote a great column. It's called Happy Capital Day, Labor Day and Capital Day. I know no good reason why they should have just one and not the other. <laughs> it's so interesting. Tell us about it. Okay. Well, of course, today uh, is Labor Day, and I wouldn't take anything away from that. I just think that we should add a capital day uh, or celebrate one one year and the other the next year or something like that. The reason is that uh, being an economist, I recognize that labor and capital are uh, complementary factors of production, meaning that they are indispensable to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, labor, you, you rarely have labor that uh, doesn't uh, make use of capital, and capital without labor, of course, uh, is, is idle. Uh, there's a couple of ways in which capital is used uh, as a term. Uh, one is that it means uh, the tools of production, mm-hmm. that is to say uh, machinery, equipment, uh, uh, factories, mines, those, that kind of thing, things that are used to produce consumer goods. And the other sense is that it's the finances needed uh, to put those things together, much as your savings represents uh, a pool of capital. Either way, uh, ultimately, capital is, is critically important, and it magnifies the power of labor um, and makes us so, so far more productive. Yeah, I'd just like to underscore that point that you just made, because the reason why our economy expands, we certainly, labor is indispensable. We're just, uh, we need more and more labor. In fact, that's one of the reasons we need to have immigration. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that uh, the capital helps the economy to expand and continue to expand and grow. And uh, because when the money's invested wisely and new machinery comes aboard, people become more productive and the products that they make are more useful the economy expands. Yeah, that's right. And think of it in terms of uh, building a home. Uh, if you did that exclusively with labor, uh, that would be next to impossible. It would mean uh, you know, everything is done by hand. Uh, you'd even dig the foundation uh, by hand, which would be, uh, of course, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But we use capital to do it. Uh, we complement the labor that we need by uh, providing it with the capital that makes uh, the production so much uh, easier and quicker and and ultimately cheaper. Yeah. So we use bulldozers and and backhoes and all the equipment or capital that's necessary to magnify uh, the uh, ability of of labor. And that's such a great point. But unfortunately, the labor movement, you know, back in May Day times and when the Marxists got involved in the whole thing, they denigrated the whole notion of capital, somehow made uh, capitalists the bad guys. And uh, that's not the relationship that we really want to have. We, we both are absolutely essential for productivity. That's right. Uh, if you want a, uh, a situation or an economy that is uh, at its uh, doing its best, that's producing win, a win-win situation for everybody because uh, it's, it's uh, so productive. You want labor and capital to be uh, uh, friendly. You want them to be not natural antagonists, but rather uh, complementary. Uh, I don't think of capital as uh, something that's possessed and deployed only by uh, bankers or the rich, but rather something that all of us have. Yeah. Uh, every worker has uh, capital in in one form or another. Sometimes it's uh, human or mental capital, the wisdom, the skills that we personally have in our in our brains, uh, as well as the machinery that we use to magnify our productivity. Yeah. You know, there's, and there's such a dearth of understanding of economic principles, unfortunately. I recall having a conversation with a, a school teacher, actually, and I said, you know, when Apple doesn't pay a dividend, what happens to all that uh, profit that they make? And she said, well, the, the, uh, the people that run the company keep it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and this is this is misunderstanding. Actually, the money for years is just reinvested to expand and grow. That's what happens with Amazon, and uh, and look at the jobs that are created. Look at the look at the benefits that are provided to society as a result of that. Yeah, absolutely, it's immense. And just look around the world, and you'll find that uh, if you compare a very wealthy country with a very poor country, you'll find invariably the difference in uh, material well-being is uh, uh, directly the result of 
one having more capital than the other. And then you have to ask the question, all right, well, why does a place like the United States have more capital uh, to complement its labor than, say, Haiti or uh, 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 Ghana? Well, it's because uh, we've allowed an atmosphere of uh, freedom to save, to invest, to be entrepreneurial, uh, for people to accumulate capital. Yeah. But in so many other countries, you know, they, you, you, if, you, if you accumulate any, the government stands in your way so much that you can't put it to use. Uh, they tax the life out of you. You have to leave uh, before you can get the opportunity to put your talents and capital to work. Well, in, in addition to that, lacking the sanctity or, or integrity of capital, in some countries, there's just no, you know, you're always under fear that it's going to be confiscated, that it's not going to be respected, that other people make claims on your property. Once you have, once you have that in the United States, one of the things we really should value, in fact, we should have more value of uh, capital rights than we do. We have a lot of more rights, more individual rights than we have capital rights, quite frankly, in this country. And we need to pres- preserve those capital rights. That's right. You want an economy that. Uh is humming along, uh, producing more goods and services for more people, and you get there by allowing people the freedom to do, to do such things as accumulate capital, employ their labor, and mix the two together uh, so as to uh, produce more. Absolutely. Larry, read again the President Emeritus for the Foundation for Economic Education. I hope you'll check out the website, fee.org, fee.org. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the day. Happy Labor Day and happy Capital Day. Okay, same to you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Jim McTagg. Jim, as I mentioned before, uh, is the uh, Barron's former Washington Bureau Chief. He's also now, after retirement, writing books Great murder mysteries. The first is uh, Follow the Leader, and the second is Shake the Money Tree, the sequel, Shake the Money Tree. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. With all the threats to faith, family, and freedom, Christian Television Network, the Faith Center Fort Myers, and Florida Pastors Network invite you to Healing Our Nation Tuesday, September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. for a free panel discussion on engaging and impacting culture with a biblical worldview. Distinguished national guest Bishop E.W. Jackson, founder of Stand Foundation, staying true to America's national destiny. John Stenberger, founder of Florida Family Policy Council and called to vote, Along with historian and best-selling author, Dr. William Federer want to equip you to effectively respond to the moral and social issues impacting our community. Join us live on television September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. on CTN Southwest Florida or live streaming at ctntelevision.com or in person at the Faith Center. Details, ctntelevision.com. That's ctntelevision.com. Or call 239-543-7200. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Among other things, they create policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. 
You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a great murder mystery. It's called Follow the Leader, and its sequel is Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure, uh, Bob. You know, when I was at Barron's, I did a lot of reporting on the economy and what, uh, you know, experts uh, were predicting for, you know, the road ahead. And, uh-huh. and, and I always, I still check, I'm checking this morning, the condition of small businesses, because I don't think it's evident to a lot of us that small businesses constitute half the country's GDP, yeah. and they're also uh, responsible for about 50% of the jobs in this country. Yeah. So uh, they're hugely important, and they've been crushed uh, initially uh, by the uh, COVID-19 virus. I mean, we've had, we've had uh, thousands of businesses go out uh, for good. Uh, a lot of them were uh, minority and immigrant businesses. So, so um, I was happy to see this morning the National Federation of Independent Businesses, which is a trade group for these people, is saying that the uh, a net 21% of small businesses plan to create new jobs in the next three months, which shows that, that there is recovery in that market. Yeah. Uh, and, and 33% cannot find uh, people skilled enough to take the jobs, wow. which is eye-opening. Uh, but there's a caveat. Uh, they expect more aid from Washington, number one, and more uh, financial assistance. And number two, they hope that Congress puts in some kind of federal liability shield so that, um, you know, these people who file uh, lawsuits all the time, you yeah, know, they go yeah. into your store and fall down and claim they slipped on a banana peel. Or, or got the virus at your store. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so, so although many states are are uh, approving protections at the state level. Yeah. The sm- small business claims there's need at, at the federal level. So you're, you're, you've got your ear to the ground in Washington, D.C. You brought up a good point because I think I read that they're moving closer to some sort of agreement between Nancy Pelosi and uh, Mnuchin uh, on, a, on some sort of a deal. Have you heard that? Well, I heard that's uh, more in line with avoiding a government shutdown in October. Oh, that's true too, wasn't it? There's there's yeah. two issues and they're separate. And uh, the- uh, but 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 you know, an election's coming up, and Congress traditionally sho- shoves money out the door uh, prior in the weeks prior to an election. Uh, neither side wants to be accused of uh, creating economic pain, and there's a lot of economic pain out there. I mean, so many people are living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, I just read that there are close to 2 million people in the uh, Washington, D.C. area who face possible eviction. So um, something, Congress has to do something, uh, another stopgap measure, and and, uh, I have no doubt that something's going to happen. Yeah, so uh, one of the unintended consequences of of all this is I read that the divorce rate is up like 34% substantially as a result of this. Now, you'd you'd think that in some cases, uh, you know, because of everything that's going on, people would want to take care of each other and support each other, but it also could exacerbate differences and leading people to say these these differences are unresolvable, we've got to move on. Unfortunately, that disrupts families. And so there's so many unintended consequences of all the things that are going on. Yeah, and another thing I was thinking about, like I'm thinking about small business, the losses, and and even uh, look at churches. Have, have COVID has dragged uh, churches into the digital age. So, so, you know, you can see church services online now. Yeah. So suddenly every... Uh, community church has to have a tech guy uh and that got me thinking about what i call the uh the college uh high school uh uh system that that forces poor kids who are ill-equipped really for college in the college uh when you're poor you have uh not only once, but you have immediate needs. Yeah. So, so you, I think it would be beneficial 
to put the kids in the trade school where they can develop a skill where as soon as they get out of high school, they can they can put legitimate money in their pocket. Uh, I'm not just talking about black kids. I'm talking about the kids in Appalachia. Uh, well, how about kids in Washington, D.C. and Bethesda and the kids right here on the Paradise Coast? I mean, there's, uh, you know, what you want when you get, if you have a, a English literature degree, you're not going to find a job. You're better off preparing yourself for the demands of life and being able to support yourself and your family. Yeah, it's. I think it's safe to say, you know, no one can predict the future, uh, but it's safe to say that if these kids were getting training in basic technology, mm-hmm. uh, they would find an opening in small business, big business, you name it, because because COVID has accelerated the digital age. So if you're a small business person, you cannot afford to have a web presence. Absolutely. And that, that requires some expertise. Well, you know, and just uh, continuing the conversation, another area of your expertise, too, is the markets. And we've been watching uh, last last week uh, a pretty serious downturn in the market. My question to you is, is it the beginning of a bear market, or is this just some sort of a, an adjustment, some sort of a, a correction in the market? No, that was the uh, retail sheep being sheared. I think, um, you know, the, the, the bears had their day, and, and then there was like the soft bank, the uh, Japanese uh, uh, investment firm had been buying up lots of options in the uh, tech market, which had the uh, effect of pumping up uh, the tech stocks. And then they closed out their op- option positions yeah. to lock in their profits, and that that drove down uh, the market. But the fact is, because the Fed has pretty much announced that it's going to keep interest rates low and it's going to keep on buying uh, uh, debt. Um, it's created a bubble, and and um, I like bubbles. I, 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 you know, and or you can make money I, in I'm bubbles not, for sure. Yeah, you yeah, re- I'm happy just to let my <laughs> stocks ride. Yeah. and uh, you know, yesterday's pullback. You know, next week we'll we'll totally forget about what happened uh, last week. Uh, I like to joke that I feel irrationally exuberant because I haven't looked at my portfolio since February. Yeah. We had the really serious correction. So, um, well, you know, yeah, it's I, it's it's interesting because uh, the other thing that, as a result of keeping interest rates low, there's no other place to put your, put your money except in the market. You know, that's the only only place where you have a possibility of making a profit. I. That's right. I mean, you can no longer live off your... I remember the good old days when certificates of deposit were, were the oh. best investment you could buy. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, for a retire, retiree, that was uh, offered uh, everything you could want, you know, a good income with uh, 100% guaranteed. So uh, so y- your opinion is that this is, this is a minor correction and we're off to the races uh, going into a, the election? Uh, yes. Yeah, and, and I think that regardless who wins the election, and I, and I, I don't think uh, I think this election is harder the is is equally hard to call as the last one. Hmm. Uh, um, but that um, whoever wins the market's going to do well because the Fed is in charge. It's it's uh, hmm. of the economy, and and that you know the old adage follow the Fed. Uh, is uh, truer now than ever. Uh, that's such an interesting point of view, Jim. I was, so back to your point, though. I mean, when I worry uh, about the market, the one thing I worry about is the point you brought up in the beginning is what's happening with small businesses. Half of our economy is is uh, small businesses. They create half of our economy. And if many of them are closing under financial pressure, uh, maybe some of the ones that survive are hiring. But what's going to happen to the rest? I mean, it's uh, it's a serious problem. Yeah, it's it's something I call the gray matter economy, and some people are ill-equipped for it. And it's not, it's not because they're stupid; they're not, but they just don't see what's happening soon enough. And and again, it's like everybody suddenly has to become tech savvy. Mm-hmm. And and you can if you're a businessman and you don't feel like uh, and you're older and you don't feel like learning new computer chips tricks, you can hire and. and an 18-year-old who is tech-savvy to work for you and get your business up and running. Yeah, well, if, you really want, if you really want to get up-to-date stuff, get an 11-year-old. <laughs> yes. Uh, but the problem with the gray matter economy is that a lot of people, even college graduates, are going to become obsolete. Yeah. For example, you mentioned English majors. Uh, they have programs out now that can write uh, news stories. Uh, you know, you just feed in the raw data, and the algorithm 
prints right. out a, a pretty good news story, uh, and it's unbiased. You know, it's like it's like a when, where, why, what, and how story. Yeah, interesting. So, so suddenly you don't need the newspaper reporter. Uh, you know, you don't need as many. So, I mean, there are a lot of uh, white-collar jobs as well as blue-collar jobs that are going to disappear. Uh, hopefully new jobs will be created, but yeah. uh, the trick is to be versatile enough to take advantage of those changes. And, and unfortunately, our public school system is not preparing a lot of people to be versatile enough. Uh, well, I'd love to continue the conversation, Jim, but we're all done with time. But I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure. And again, follow the leader and uh, shake the money tree. Two great books. Uh, the Locust is Washington, D.C., Murder Mysteries. That's a wrap on today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. Tomorrow we're going to visit with our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. Phil Kirpin from American Commitment will be joining us. Boo Mortensen, as well as Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. I hope you make it a great Labor Day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>